Have you enjoyed this study on spiritual gifts? It is, um, I think it's so important. It helps us to understand what we all bring to the body of Christ and how vital each of us are. And this morning's is a very important gift. We are looking at the gift of mercy. So let's look at our text, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So we're going to prophesy according to the Scriptures, tell the truth, speak out, speak boldly, proclaim based on the truth of the Word of God. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. So serve, just wait on people, get in and serve. Or he that teacheth on teaching. So if a person is, has that gift of teaching, they need to be teaching. That's what discipleship is all about. Isn't that wonderful? Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. How many of you have ever thought to say something to encourage someone and you didn't? Right? So this language, it's interesting the way that this text is written. Isn't that simple? Uh, you know, if you have the gift of exhortation, then exhort. Right? Now, all of us are supposed to be acquiring and bettering and growing in all of these areas of gifts. How many of you think we all ought to serve each other? That's a command. It's not a suggestion. We're all, that's ministry. That's ministry. Teaching. We're all supposed to be teaching someone else the Word of God. All of us are supposed to be doing that. But there are those who are gifted at it. Exhortation. All of us should be finding a way to encourage someone else in the faith. All of us are supposed to be doing that. Or he that exhorteth, verse 8, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Don't complicate it. Just give. He that ruleth with diligence. So if you have this gift of ruling administration, make sure you finish the job, that you're attentive to it. And he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy with cheer. I think that is so interesting, and we'll look at that as we go. Lord, help us as we study your word. Lord, at Christmas time, we give gifts, and we think of the gifts that were brought to you by the wise men. But Lord, we understand that when you rose from the dead, when you ascended on high, you gave gifts to men, and you have gifted those individuals in your church in order to serve you. So, Father, help us to understand how we can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, gift of mercy. The person who best exemplifies this gift in the New Testament is the disciple John, <clears throat> the apostle John. He, was, he would address himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the one who Jesus loved. And John was a, was a really special person. Look at what this says, John three seventeen. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the heart of everything that John does. John is about love and loving each other and promoting Jesus Christ and the love that Christ has. Um, look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Now, I want you to think about something. We have main camp. Right? And, you know, the guys in our church are pretty much manly men. If a guy comes into our church, you know, and he talks like this, well, I, I think that I like yeah, Jesus, and I like you, and um, I think that we ought to love. Most of the guys in the church, while they're supposed to 
love that guy and minister to him are going to do this. Right? Because manly men don't like sissies. Is that right? You know, it's interesting. The Bible talks about those in the church. Um, He talks about some of you were effeminate. So a saved guy who was effeminate needs to stop being effeminate. How do you do that? By acting like a godly man. Paul told Timothy, these things command and teach. What is the chief component to having someone obey your commands? Authority. Authority. When we speak, when we teach, it ought to be the authority of the Word of God, the authority of a godly life. Later on in that same passage, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. Right? So our authority comes from the Word of God. Our authority comes from the Scripture, from, from a godly life. But our authority also comes from the way that we speak. Is that true? And yet, we don't have too many guys in our church that talk the way that John talked. I want you to think about that as we read this passage. Let's start again in verse 7. And see how many of you guys are kind of uncomfortable talking like this. There's an old, old guy. He and his wife come before the preacher, having some trouble. And she says to the pre- preacher, says, what's the problem? He said, she said, he never tells me he loves me. And he said, I told you when we got married, and if that ever changes, I'll let you know. That's probably not a good way to go, is it? Let's see how that, let's see how that comports to John here. Verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's accepted sacrifice, uh, the accepted satisfactory payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Amen? Now, I wonder how many of us manly men talk like that. I wonder how many of us manly men live like that. It's a good challenge, isn't it? It's a good challenge. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Are you seeing why John exemplifies this? Now, here's another one of those 316s, 1 John 3:16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us love, not, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just talk about it. Don't be a talk about it only. We got to live out this love. And you know what's cool? Observing you all do that. I've watched many of you step up when someone has a need aware of the problem, ready to do something about the problem. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, this is where this becomes really important. Check this out. Guys, this is not a feminine gift. Mercy is not a feminine gift. 
Look at the way the Bible describes John. Here's what Jesus Christ said. This is Mark 3, 17. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. John was a dude. He, this was the kind of guy that could clear out a bar. He was a rough, mean, tough fisherman. This is a guy that was boiled in oil and lived through it to preach the gospel. How many of you think that's manly? Yeah, that's the one that's talking about this love. So guys, don't mistake the gift of mercy for a feminine gift. And of course, some of the, the toughest guys I know have the biggest hearts in the world. They're, it's wonderful to watch that. It's wonderful to watch that. Now, characteristics. First characteristic, deeply loyal to friends. Deeply loyal to friends. Those with the gift of mercy are reluctant to speak against any person regardless of what they've done. All right, so they're loyal. They're loyal. Um, they always see the other side for that person. Then number two, the danger, of course, sorry, this is my outline, not yours. The danger, of course, is that they may not speak up at times when they should confront evil. All right? Mercy must always be balanced with justice. I want you to think about something. God is always merciful. Isn't that a blessing? But He is also always just. How do you balance that? With Scripture. You try to be scriptural. And, of course, the gift of mercy must be uh, submitted to the Scriptures like all the others. Then, a deep need for friendships. A deep need for friendships. I won't have you raise your hand on this, but I, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you don't really need friends? You enjoy being alone. Actually, you prefer being alone. All right, the person with the gift of mercy, they really do need deep friendships because they have all of this emotional energy that they need to invest. All right, so there's the deep need. There's a, there's a need for deep friendships. Um, they need to be in relationships that are marked by commitment and steadfastness. They do not have a high tolerance, though, for friends who are critical. So how many of you know people that are critical? How many of you, that's your gift? Well, you know, I don't find that gift in the Scriptures, but I know people who seem to have it. Um, criticism. Criticism. Those are the gift of mercy. They don't like that. They don't like that. Um, then, discernment of emotions. Discernment of emotions. Those with the gift of mercy have a great ability to feel joy, to feel the joy or distress of another person or group. Um, the person, that, we'll see this in a minute, they have empathy, but this person doesn't have to ask, how are you doing? They know. They know. How many of you are glad there are people like that that are around? When you're hurting, it's hard to be around cold people. When, um, when our son Riley died, I had a friend who didn't know what to say. And he said, well, these things happen. It would have been better if he hadn't said that to me at that time. How many of you have ever been in a, in a hard time and somebody said something like that to you? That's not the person with the gift of mercy. Okay? The person with the gift of mercy knows how to love you at that time. I think of... Um, some of you met Keith Kaiser when he came and preached my ordination here all those years ago, almost 17 years ago. Um, he's with the Lord now. 
he was big, real big guy, gruff, jowly, you know. He was the most tender-hearted guy in the world. And that night that Riley died, uh, this, this helped me so much as a pastor because, again, mercy, I'm, I'm low on that scale. I've got to have the Lord help me with that. Um, he, he just stood there. You know what he did? He just stood there and cried. He didn't say anything. He read a little bit of Scripture and didn't say anything. And that was so instructive. What does the Bible say? Weep with those that weep. That's what he was doing. Brother Kaiser, I'll never forget that. Mike Fox, same thing. He was one of the assistant pastors there at the church where we were. And he was in the room with me when I was holding Riley and he took his last breath. And all he did, he knelt in front of me and just wept. He just wept. Uh, I, I was at this meeting out in, um, in Washington. There was a preacher there, uh, Manuel Gregory. Small world, he played basketball with Matt uh, Hickman in college. But he, he was preaching there. And a couple of years ago, while he was preaching at this meeting, they were on the way to the airport, and one of his kids called and said his daughter had died. His 11-year-old daughter had died while he was out in California, or out in Washington. And it was two hours to the airport. His wife was meeting him at the airport. And he described walking through the airport, and his legs were weak. And when he saw his wife, all he could do was fall down, put her head in his lap and says, she's gone. She's gone. Now, I want you to think about something. Some of you in this room, as I tell that story, you're crying. Others of you are, others of you are thinking, I wonder how he got back. I wonder how they got it cared for. And your analytical mind is going in a different place. Well, you ready for this? Somebody needed to help them get home. Somebody needed to help make those arrangements. And somebody needed to lay their head on their shoulder and cry with them. Right? Preacher, not much money, small church, church planter. Somebody needed to help pay for that funeral. Who's going to do that? The givers. Who's going to make sure that everything's taken care of? The rulers. Who's going to cry with them and hold their hand and encourage them? Well, the exhorters and the people with mercy. Do you see how God's plan works? And I remember sitting there while well, he, was, he was just telling this story this week while I was out there preaching. And I remember sitting there thinking, of course, I was in tears because I remembered our situation. It's interesting how when you've been through it or something similar, everything changes. Right? And yet some of you who have the gift of mercy, you don't need to have gone through it to feel it. Isn't that awesome? We need you so desperately. We need you. Oh, then, so discernment of emotions. Um, I know I have some notes on that. And they want to see that hurt alleviated in that person. Then they're able to empathize, empathize with hurting people. They're able to empathize with hurting people. What is empathy? Empathy is the ability to feel what the other person is feeling. Now, in marriage counseling, one of the things that you'll see is some guys, they lack empathy. And so what, but that's not what the wife says. The wife says, he doesn't understand me. Isn't that interesting? Mercy people, those with mercy, they have a lot of empathy. And that is so needed. And let me say this. If you don't have empathy, 
You need to pray to God and ask Him to give it to you. The Bible says this, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. How can you bear another's burdens without empathy? You can't do it. Now, if a person completely lacks empathy, do you know what they're called? Sociopaths. You know, they're serial killers. Or politicians. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right there. But they're able to empathize with hurting people. Um, they, they, they're deeply sensitive to what may hurt others. Those with the gift of mercy, they're sensitive to statements and actions that may hurt others. They often react harshly if their friends or family members are rejected or hurt in any way. And I want you to think about this. We're going to get to the misuses, but one misuse that I want to give you right here is let's say that... I'll pass the Arlings, let them have a break. Let's say that um, Chad Hollinger's aunt starts coming to our church, all right? And she believes false doctrine. She's not been scripturally baptized. She's imbibed false doctrine. But she loves our church and she wants to join our church. I sit down with her and I talk with her and I show her what the church says, what the Bible says about baptism, what we believe, um, that if she's going to join this church, that we have a, a, a body of doctrine that we're agreeing to together as a church. She doesn't want to agree to that. So we say, hey, I, we'd love for you to keep coming. Uh, we pray that the Lord will help you to see things from the Scriptures the way that we see them, but, but you're not going to be able to join right now. And Chad, with the gift of mercy, gets mad at me. I can't... You, you don't know what a wonderful person my aunt is. I can't believe that you would do that. And so then he gets mad and he tells 15 other people in the church and there's a church split. I don't know if you've heard of something like that happening. Praise God it's not happened here. Uh, Chad, I got to... <laughs> um, it's not happened here. Praise God for that. But I've, I've seen it happen in churches all over the country. What is that? That's a misuse. He's so worried about the feelings of his aunt that it undermines the whole authority and structure of the New Testament church. What would be the proper response of mercy? Understanding how his aunt feels at that time and yet telling her the truth in love. That's the proper response to that. Now, the prophet who's not walking in the Spirit might say, hey, you don't like it? Leave. Whatever. How many think that's the right way to act? No, no. The right way is for the prophet to speak the truth in love with the mercy person alongside him, helping him to understand what that person is feeling as they're going through it. You see how it's supposed to work? That's the idea. Empathy. Empathy. Then, deeply sensitive to loved ones. Deeply sensitive to loved ones. So they react harshly if friends or family members are rejected or hurt in any way. They may respond in a defensive and even angry way if they sense that a person is doing something that may injure emotionally a person they love. They're very sensitive to the criticisms of others. How many of you have ever seen someone get offended for someone else? Now, you can imagine that with the way that I preach and the way that I speak, that that happens. Um, I've had people really upset because they thought someone else might be hurt by something I said, and that person thought it was great. Okay? Now, let me say this. Somebody like me, 
We need those with the gift of mercy. I need to listen to those people. I need to listen to those people. Those of you who are prophets, you need to listen to the people who have the gift of mercy. They'll temper you. Amen? Now, Laura says that she has lost some of her gift of mercy since we first took this test. But she has helped me so much in this area. I can't stand to preach without her in the room. You know, years ago, I remember she said to me one time, she said, I don't think you know how you sound sometimes. That's a good wife, isn't it? That's a good wife. Now, if she stood up in the church service and said that, now we got a problem. But it's a wonderful thing. We need those with the gift of mercy to temper the truth that we have. But can you imagine a pastor that all he had was mercy? That's where you get people, we talked about it in Sunday school, a, a minister who said the worst thing that you can do to somebody is make them aware of their lost and sinful condition because it destroys their self-esteem. Isn't that interesting? My, I'm worthless other than the worth that I find in Christ. Jesus loved me so much he died on the cross for me. That's where my worth is. My worth is in what Jesus did for me. How can I understand what he did for me if I don't understand my sinful condition? You see, that's where an overriding sense of mercy away from truth becomes very destructive. All right? Deeply sensitive to loved ones. They attract people in distress. They attract people in distress. Man, you know this is true. If I was playing outside and I got hurt and I came inside, I was not going to dad. Right? Here, what would dad do? Man, you crack your head on the ground, on the, on the floor, you're fooling around, you crack your head on the floor, what's dad do? Hey, that'll be all right. How many of you, seriously, has that happened? Mom says, oh, and she, I'm not going to do this. Mom says, oh, and kisses him, and all, right? Am I right? Yeah, it's the same way as you get older, when you're in ministry. When you're struggling, when you're in, stre- in, in distress, you go to people who have demonstrated caring already. And people understand that, and it's so important that we have that in the ministry. Then, the desire to remove hurts. They desire to remove hurts. What they want to do is they want to stop the pain as quickly as possible. I want you to think about something. These people... Those with the gift of mercy see no benefit in suffering. They want to end it. They want to end the suffering. And so here's where you get a conflict. The exhorters, you know, somebody's going through a hard time. Uh, uh, what's your name? Kenzie. Kenzie's going through a hard time. Did, was that hurtful? No. Okay. Kenzie's going through a hard time. The exhorter says, hey, this is good for you. You're going to grow through this. You're going to learn some great things. And you're thinking... Yeah, thanks. Right? The mercy person, when they hear someone say that, they get ticked. They do. And so often in churches, there is a conflict between the mercy people and the exhorters. There's more trouble between the mercy people and the exhorters than the mercy people and the prophets. Why? Because the exhorter understands that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Right? They've got that. They miss. This person's really hurting right now. There will come a time for them to learn the lesson. 
when you're right in the middle of it, I don't need to learn the lesson. I need to live through this thing. Right? And so that, that conflict, the mercy people help the people through the struggle, and then the exhorter helps them come out the other side. When you're going into it, that's not the time for the exhorter. Hey, march right through this thing. That cancer is going to be great for you. You're going to be able to be a great witness for God as you come through this. Just praise God through the chemo. Praise God through the pain. It's going to be great. Let's not have that guy do the hospital visits. Okay? Measure acceptance by closeness. Measure acceptance by closeness. Remember, mercy people, they strive for deep and meaningful relationships. Exhorters, they're moving on to the next person. Okay, I got you fixed. I'm going over here now. Right? And so often what will happen is that person with the gift of mercy, when they don't make that deep connection, they think they're not accepted. Well, that's not the case at all. You got The mercy person needs to love that exhorter right where they are. Amen? Man, it got real quiet right there. They really do. It's interesting. It, this is very interesting. And this is what happens with the gifts. And this is why this is such a helpful study is we all want everyone to understand us. Well, we need to give that same understanding to everyone else. That's hard to do. Man, if everybody was like me, life would be great. <laughs> no, 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 no. Then they're attracted to profits. Do you think there are any homes that struggle with this? Because mercy people love the strong leader. Those with the gift of mercy love that truth. They love it and they hate it at the same time. It's very interesting. They're attracted to those with the gift of prophecy. All right, so now let's look at the misuses. The first misuse is taking up offenses. Taking up offenses. Those with the gift of mercy, now let me just say this very, let me say this as a prophet. If you have the gift of mercy, be careful that you don't get your feelings hurt too easily. All right? That whole idea of wearing your emotions on your sleeve, and that's, that's troublesome. That's troublesome. Um, taking up offenses. Then, becoming possessive. Becoming possessive. Um, the person with the gift of mercy will look at a person um, as a project. And they can invest so much in that person, so much energy in that person, um, that it can become overwhelming. All right? So I have to be careful of that. Becoming possessive. Then, tolerating evil. This is one of the most dangerous ones. And this is where parents have to be careful. If, if both parents have the gift of mercy, you usually have a horribly behaved child. I can't spank him. He's my baby. But just a baby. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. No, no. Now, it might be the big, gruff guy with the gift of mercy. How many of you have seen a really big, gruff guy with a child they can't control? How many of you have seen that? I have. What is that? They have the gift of mercy. They can't bring themselves to spank that child. Now, I'll say this. I've heard men say this. They're afraid to hurt them. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? 
that's wise. That's wise. Man, we had a party at our at our house, and I had filled a cooler too much, and I couldn't lift it. Tony Slade just picked it up like it was nothing. If I was his child, I'd say, don't hurt me. I'm his pastor, and I say, don't hurt me. Um, so honestly, there is wisdom in how you discipline a child. Remember what you're doing. Be- Amen? But someone with the gift of mercy, it's beyond that. It's they're, they're incapable. If they, if they rely only on their mercy, they're incapable of giving godly discipline. And so they tolerate evil. And so that's why the church needs mercy and it needs profit. You've got to have both. And you're, you're a church that's out of balance if you don't have both. All right? So tolerating evil, of course, that's evil. Then failing to be firm. Failing to be firm. If I tell you this one more time, and you say that like five times, right? That's failing to be firm. Failing to be firm. And it's that way doctrinally. It's that way in their home. It's that way in their business life. And it's that way in the way they administrate a church. And so we need, we need to be careful that this is a misuse. We understand it. Then, leaning on emotions versus reason. Leaning on emotions versus reason. Um, you see this in, in the world. You see this in uh, political campaigns. All right? You know, somebody wants to raise the taxes, and what they say is, well, what about the children? What about the children? Well, let their parents feed them. How about that? Amen? And, and there, I know there's a mercy person here saying, oh, I love the little ones. They're just precious. Well, they are precious, and that's why mom and dad ought to feed them. Amen? And so you see that constantly over and over and over again. How many of you ladies get tired of the way the woman's vote is treated? You know, of course, all you women are for abortion. All you women are for gay rights. All of you women are for, you know, raising taxes and out-of-control spending and so that, so that, you know, daddy government can take care of you? How many of you ladies would disagree with that? Yeah, yeah. Those generalizations, they're very troubling. They're very troubling. But mercy people are very much affected by those kinds of appeals. And that's where they need, they need truth. We have to be careful with that. Then, so leaning on emotions versus reason. Um, then reacting to God's purposes. Reacting to God's purposes. I can't believe God would do this. I can't believe God would do this. Um, a good example of this are the parents whose kids, they get married, and they go into debt, they spend too much money, they're struggling, and so mom and dad come and bail them out. How many of you think that's a bad idea? Now, if it's a really dangerous situation, of course, mom and dad are going to step in and take care of it. Medical need, whatever, mom and dad are going to step in. I think that that is an obligation. Would you all agree with that? I do. But, man, it's really good for young couples to learn those lessons early so they can get those things settled. That's what I'm talking about, God's purposes. God designed consequences into the universe, right? The person with mercy sometimes doesn't like those consequences, and they try to alleviate that hurt where God is teaching a lesson. So that's a misuse of it. Then, failing to show deference. Failing to show deference. You say, how does that work? How does that work? Well, mercy people often balk the leadership. 
All right? Because in any type of leadership situation, there are hard decisions that have to be made. Right? The mercy person says, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. Do you know what? You know, that's going to hurt so-and-so. That's going to, you see? So failing to understand their place in the ministry. Now, what's the proper thing for that? Proper proper thing is for the person with the gift of mercy to go to the leadership and say, Pastor, man, I just want you to understand how, how this is going to affect so-and-so. How many of you think that's important information? God brought those people with the gift of mercy to help everyone else see that particular need. It's so important. But when things get out of kilter, then we have conflict and trouble and problems. So failing to show deference. Then cutting off insensitive people. I don't like him. He's mean. Are we supposed to do that or are we supposed to forgive one another? What are we supposed to do? Forgive one another. Yeah. All right, warnings. Warnings. The first one. <laughs> warning, Will Robertson. All right, warning. How many of you know, have no idea what I'm talking about on that? Okay. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Yes, all of you old people, thank you. I feel at home. All right. Being too emotional to the point of losing sight of the greater purposes of God. A spirit-filled person with the gift of mercy is a tremendous asset to the church. Amen? Yeah, I love that. Then, being weak and indecisive. Being weak and indecisive. Another warning. Being too quick to draw conclusions in defense of those who are being criticized or hurt. Being too quick to draw conclusions in defense of those who are being criticized or hurt. Now, look at this. this these are very important right here. Being too forward in their desire to minister to others with their presence, forgiveness, and kindness. How many of you have, I've seen this happen. Um, I was taught this years ago. Hospital visits need to be short. Why? Because they're in the hospital. They're tired. They're weak. Ladies, you've had a baby. All right? And somebody wants to come and sit with you for three hours. And isn't it awful? Just terrible. How about this? Ladies, you have a baby. Some guy with the gift of mercy wants to come and sit with you for three hours. <laughs> Ladies, how many of you would say that's a problem? Yeah, this is what we're talking about. We have to be careful. Got to be careful with how this gift is used. Then this last one, it's vital that you get this. Failing to note when acts of mercy are misinterpreted as acts of romantic love. Now, there are people, probably lost people, who enter into a church and they're predators, right? They enjoy destroying marriages and destroying homes. We've all seen people that are like that, okay? But most affairs that take place in churches involve a mercy person, all right? And here's how it happens. Um, they're showing mercy. They're showing mercy and the emotions get involved, and it turns into something that it shouldn't. That happens. Other times, there have been predator pastors who have taken advantage of women in the mercy situation in counseling. How many of you have heard of that happening? I have. I have. So this is where we have to be careful, just as the abuse of the prophet becomes 
a very manipulating and, and overbearing, dominating type of individual. How many of you think that that's very ugly and unscriptural? Right? The abuse of the mercy, it, it crosses lines of propriety into romantic areas of romantic love. It's a, very, it's a real danger that you have to be warned of. Now, um, how, what's the best way to handle this? <laughs> Guys, really, don't spend any time with somebody that's not your wife. Ladies, don't spend any time with somebody that's not your husband. It's very difficult to have an affair with a lady you're not talking to. <laughs> Amen? I don't counsel women alone. I'm not going to do it. I'm, not, I'm irresistible. You know, it's just not fair to the ladies. <laughs> no, no, it's just... <laughs> It's dumb. It's just, it's not wise. Would you all agree with that? And so this is where establishing boundaries in the New Testament church and behaving properly, it just gives us, it gives us freedom. It gives us liberty. And the other thing that it does is it allows godly ladies to exercise the gifts that God has given them for counseling. Isn't that wonderful? And the other thing is I don't have any idea how to counsel a lady most of the time. I don't speak female. The Bible talks about that. A man knows what's in the spirit of a man. That's what the Bible says. It's very clear. So these types of things, it's very important. These gifts that are given to the church, man, they're so important. I, which one of these gifts is the most important? That's right, Andrew, all of them. How could you say one's more important to the church than the other? You can't. You can't do it. How many of you think the ruler, the organizer, needs the mercy person? Yeah, because the organizer is going to get the job done. I remember I was a manager. I'd be, this is my first management position. It was at a clothing store near Chicago. And I'd made the schedule. And this lady, she said, you have me scheduled every night. When am I going to see my kids? And so, now, now, forgive me. I was like 21. I said, hey, that's your problem, not mine. How do you think that I needed some managerial training? <laughs> right? They, we had these, these visual people. They'd come in and do the, do the displays. And they had messed up my shirt display, my shirt area. And uh, I found out later they had a nickname for me. It was Hans Mengele, Joseph Mengele's evil offspring. <laughs> because of the way that I managed that store... When I was just young, but what was that? That was my profit, you know, stuff. That's, that's my highest without any understanding at all of what was going on in other people's lives. What is that? Now, somebody would say, well, that's being a jerk. Well, yeah, but, but what it is, it's immaturity, right? It's immaturity. Um, how many of you, when you watch teenage girls talking with each other, and they're crying or they're laughing very loudly, trying to attract attention to themselves in Walmart, right? You look at that and you go, stop it, <laughs> right? What is that? That's immaturity. If you, if you see ladies that are 30 or 40 years old behaving that way, <laughs> that's called the view. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> What we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to grow. What's the Bible say? Grow 
in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow. So those with the gift of mercy, you're so vital to the church. Look at marks of godly mercy. Attentive. Watchful over those who are in need or have sorrow or trouble of any kind. Attentive. Um, What we need you mercy people to do is point out to us who are weak in that area, hey, this person has a need. Let me let you know. You need to be aware this person has a need. Amen? Then, so attentive. Then sensitive. Aware of the needs of others even without saying, uh, even without them saying anything. So just be aware. Be watchful. Attentive and then sensitive. Then fair. Desiring impartiality and fairness. Fair. What are we talking about? Um, A person with a gift of mercy is not the person that you want in charge of allocating funds. Amen? So that's where that person with the gift of mercy, they need to learn biblical fairness, what's going on uh, that way. All right? Then compassionate. Compassionate. Feeling the hurts of others as if they were their own. Mark of godly mercy. Then gentle, soft-spoken, tender, and caring. Praise God for those people. Yielding, willing to give way to the desires and wishes of others so that harmony and peace might prevail in a person's heart. Yielding. One of the problems with a person with the gift of mercy is sometimes they feel that their solution is the only one that's right for that situation. So they need to yield to the Holy Spirit and the authority to see that happen. Then sacrificial. Willing to suffer if it will help another person. Willing to suffer if it will help another person. Now, how many of you think that this gift of mercy is important in the church? Amen. I'm very thankful for those of you who have it. We need you desperately. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word.